Rots a righteousness tends to be long So keep your love on, on Welcome to the Get Your Love On podcast. This show is dedicated to the family of faith around the globe. In each episode, we punt phony religion and we learn how to simply walk with God every day. It's straightforward and it's straight from the word. We have free resources for you at getyourloveon.org that includes free Bible studies and videos to answer your questions and build your faith. And of course, we'd love to hear from you. You can always reach out and contact us at getyourloveon.org. We have an amazing episode for you, so let's go. Keep your love on, child. Let it shine bright. And that is what is so exciting about this life is to be able to live the word of God. Deuteronomy 1.8, it says, Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them and to their seed after them. In verse 10, it says, The Lord your God hath multiplied you, and behold, ye are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude. The Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times so more many as ye are, and bless you as he hath promised you. So we're starting today off with some incredible blessings, some incredible news of the movement of the Holy Spirit across this land and internationally. And of course, we bless God for all of that. And we thank God Almighty because he's doing it. He's providing the hope and the faith and the love and the courage for anyone and everyone who will to speak out in righteousness and in truth. Now, if you're watching mainstream news, you think you're hearing about this? Probably not. Nope, because the mainstream news is a bombardment of the worst kind of news this world has to offer. Now, I spent 15 years in a mainstream media career, and most of that was spent fighting just to get the truth told, (laughs) let alone Try to get the good news out there that God is alive and well and moving across this land like a mighty rushing wind. And all through those years, whenever there was a story that came across the news feed that was just afflicting my heart, making making me so sad. And, and, you know, there's a real spirit of fear that's going out there across the land. I'd always remember this scripture of what Apostle Paul had to say about it. It's Philippians 4, and I wanted to share this because there's so much bad news that we are exposed to. There's so much junk and BS. And reality is, this entire world, the things of this world, it's all BS. It's all junk. So here's what Apostle Paul instructs us to do. And this served me very well all the days of my life, and I hope it does for you also. Philippians 4, verse 8. It says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard 
and seen in me? Do, and the God of peace shall be with you. So as we as we allow the good things of God, the pure things of God, the lovely things of God, as we allow those things to fill our mind, and then as we learn about God and we receive his instruction and we receive his wisdom and we hear more about him, and then as we do it, the God of peace, God Almighty, will be with us, shall be with us. That's a promise of God. Isn't that wonderful? And it really settles our heart. It allows us to look at the things of God and allows us to focus on those things and knowing that if we do that, God will be with us. Well, if God be with us, who can be against us? That's another wonderful scripture, another wonderful promise of God that we can rely on as things look very strange. And today we have a really cool message. We're going to talk about how to wisely conduct ourselves even in very strange circumstances. We have an example from the Word of God, and then our featured minister also goes into the wisdom that God gives us and how it's the principal thing to navigate this life. We're also going to talk about something that's very important today. It's called an anointing, and we can all ask God for an, a unique specific, special anointing for our own lives. And God says, ask and ye shall receive. So let's talk about what it is to be anointed today. It's an incredibly important thing to recognize an anointing for what it is. It's a gift from God. It doesn't come from man. It's a movement of the Holy Spirit. So it's so important if we want to recognize an anointing for ourselves or that someone else has, we need to know the Holy Spirit, right? We need to be able to have that knowledge as well. Because the Holy Spirit is what gives the anointing to any one individual. Now, in the Old Testament, it's really interesting. The word anoint or anointing usually meant to rub with oil, to paint, to give a gift from a gift, to consecrate. It's an unction. So an anointing was an unction, and it was a holy unction. To smear with oil, to overflow, to spread over oil as producing light. Now, lamps need oil if they're going to produce light. And our friend, Carol, she's our featured minister today, she'll, she'll mention this too. And, and so tune your ear for when she comes on. It'll be about in 30 minutes. Um, she'll come on and she'll further expound on the importance of when we see oil in the Word of God, it actually means the Holy Spirit. And just like oil can leak out of a car or oil can leak out of a lamp, oil, the Holy Spirit can leak out of someone that doesn't seek to retain it. So it's really important that we know this, that we have this knowledge, and that we, again, think on those things of God, do what we're instructed to do through the Word of God, and then preserve that anointing, preserve that oil. That way our light can shine bright. Isn't that beautiful? And again, you'll hear more about that. So the word anointed means a consecrated person. It means a priest, a king, or a saint, and of course, our Messiah, Jesus Christ, who's foretold of many times in the Old Testament. So that's the, that's the overview of what the Old Testament has to say about the word anointed. 
It's a foretelling of the Holy Spirit. It's a foretelling of the free gift of the Holy Spirit that God Almighty pours out across this land to anyone who's obedient, who gets baptized, who repents, is baptized, and then allows the Holy Spirit in them and allows it to flourish in them. So in the New Testament, this is so interesting because after Christ, after the Holy Spirit, we see an expanded meaning of the word anointed. Now, it also has the reference to that oil, to that beautiful um, ability to give light, that fire, that fire starter, right? That's that same has that still has that reference, but now it's expanded into meaning contact. It means offer service. So when we are anointed, we are offering our service to the Lord. We aren't doing it out of obligation, but we're offering our hearts to the Lord. We're saying, Lord, I love you so much. Thank you for this beautiful life. Thank you for all your gifts. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for all those things that are lovely and are true. Thank you for showing those to me. I'm offering you my service. I'm offering you my heart to be able to serve all those. And and we have a beautiful scripture here to point out what that service means specifically. But in general, it means to offer service. It means in the heart of distribution. Yeah, when we have that heart for service, we have a heart for distribution. There's no covetousness. We have a heart to see the needs of others. We have a heart to um, make sure that the widows and the fatherless are taken care of. It actually says pure religion and undefiled is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their time of affliction. That's that heart of distribution. And that's what a true ministry of God does. Distributes the word of God in sincerity and truth, without partiality, without hypocrisy. That's that heart of distribution. The root word of the word anoint, and this again, you know, here on Get Your Love On, we read the King James Version of the Bible because then we can reference the Greek and Hebrew meanings and pull out these really deeper meanings of the word anointed. And the root word of the word anointed is to furnish what is needed. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) As we offer our service to the Lord, we get to be that furnishing of what's needed. We get to fulfill the needs. We get to help one another in truth and sincerity. It means give an oracle and treat, use, to handle. Yeah, We get to handle God's business. When we're anointed, we get to handle God's business. You know, when your boss goes, would you get that handled? That's what the Lord's saying to us by giving us that anointing. So isn't it wonderful we get to ask, Lord, show me what my anointing is. Show me how I get to handle your business and what part of your business is mine to handle. That word anointed, the root of it is also ought to. Yeah, we ought to do these things. We ought to give service to one another. We ought to be compassionate and we we ought to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? That's that's the commandment of God. The first and great commandment is love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy mind, and all thy strength and thy neighbor as thyself. And we ought to. I think so too, yeah. That's beautiful. Lord, thanks for bringing that out in the word. And then if we dig a little deeper into the meaning of this word anointed, and I brought this up because the word anointed kind of has this pious 
um, mystique about it. And we're, we're blowing the lid off that right now. That's not true. It, it isn't pious at all. It's very real. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit. Each one of us, each one of us, no matter your age, no matter your background, no matter what country you're living in, no matter the, the state of your life, each one of us get to say, Lord, anoint me for your work. Show me what my anointing is, Lord. Show me how I get to handle your business because I know I ought to. But when we are anointed, so again, the root, the, the, we dig a little deeper into this word anointed. And the root of it is the hand. So when we're anointed by the Holy Spirit, we are the hands of God in this land. Those healing hands, those helping hands, that beautiful, wonderful hug that God Almighty, that comfort that God can give us. That's what it means to be anointed. It's not some pious thing that you have to go to some Bible school for, that you have to, that's out there somewhere, that's always beyond our reach. No, to be anointed of God is to have the Holy Spirit. And then we are the hands of God in this land. What an incredible thing. So yes, cause for great rejoicing. Turn off all the bad news. Turn your ear to God's good news because it's happening and it's it's flowing with great abundance. Isn't this so wonderful? Lord, thank you again for all of your marvelous, wondrous works. So let's talk about this anointing a little bit more here. In Luke 4, verse 18, this is Christ speaking. And again, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. So when we're baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, and in Acts 2.38, it says, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's Acts 2.38. We've taught on that in great depth. So if you'd like to know more, I will, um, I will reference that particular show in our show archives today so you can have that. But that's the ushering of the, in of the Holy Spirit. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. So that Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So whenever we read about Christ, when we are spirit-filled Christians, we have that same ability, that same authority, and that same purpose in life. So let's read what Christ is saying here. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Well, let's all get this same anointing. Let's ask God for it, to preach the gospel to the poor, those that need to know the truth of God, to heal the brokenhearted. Yes, Lord, let's do that. Let's have that great compassion to preach deliverance to the captives. There's a lot of people that are very bound by lies. They are bound by false narratives. So let's preach deliverance to those captives. Let's ask God for the same anointing. Ask God to anoint your hands so that we can recover the sight to the blind and set at liberty them that are bruised. Because yes, this is the acceptable year of the Lord. So let's get preaching, my, my friends. Isn't that wonderful? We get to ask for that same anointing. 
How about this? In Acts 10, verse 38, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Ooh, how cool is that? So we get the Holy Ghost. We get to know the the promises of God. And as we just mentioned, that helping those that are brokenhearted, delivering those that are captive, and we have the power of God Almighty. And here's what Christ did with that. Here's a really key distinction. So God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good. (laughs) Yeah, let that be our example too. Let's go about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. How do you know someone's oppressed by the devil? Well, number one, there's fear in their life because the scriptures say perfect love casts out fear for fear hath torment. Perfect love is a perfect understanding of God's love. It's a perfect understanding of God. When we have that, we'll be fearless. There won't be fear in our life. And so those that are oppressed of the devil are fearful. They allow fear to rule their life and to cause them to sway in their decisions and sway in their stances. So that's a form of oppression of the devil. And there's a lot of different ways. We'll actually get in deeper into this because we'll see an example of how Satan tries to oppress. But again, God, through the Holy Ghost, with the power of God, heals all those that are oppressed of the devil. Why? For God was with him. So again, in Philippians, when it says, think on these things and learn of God and hear of God and do, and the God of peace shall be with you. This can be your testimony as well, to go about doing good and healing all those that are oppressed of the devil. That's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. Again, it's not a pious thing. It's not something that's for only those that have, you know, the little priest garb or the, uh, you know, some kind of outward show of it. Nope. It's, it's the inward man. It's our heart seeking God, saying, Lord, show me my anointing. And I bet you, I bet you dollars to donuts, most of us know our anointing. We just need a nudge. <laughs> we just need that, that strength and that that understanding that it's for us to do, to take action. And again, we'll hear more about how to take that action in wisdom as well. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. It says, for all the promises of God in him are yea. That's right. When God makes a promise, it's happening. Bank on it. 100% guaranteed. Bank on it. All the promises of God in him are yea. They are affirmative. They are true. And in him, amen. That means so be it. Done deal. Unto the glory of God by us. That's right. We are his workmanship. We are his hands in this land. This is verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. Now he which established us, with you in Christ and hath anointed us is God who also sealed us 
and gives given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Isn't that wonderful? So we are anointed by God. He has sealed us in that and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. So God has sealed us in it. Let's make sure we seal ourselves in it as well. Two-way street. Relationships always are. Relationships are always a two-way street. And so with God, who's sealing us in this in these promises, let's make sure we seal ourselves to him, too, as well. And here's Hebrews 1, 9. We're talking about the incredible anointing of God and how we get to ask God for a unique anointing according to our own personalities, according to who we are in the body of Christ. It says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Isn't that wonderful? As we press into the Lord, as we seek him, and we learn about his righteousness, we will love that righteousness so much more. And by extension, boom, hate iniquity. Ooh, get it far from me. I don't want anything to do with any of that iniquity. That's an automatic result of loving righteousness is hating iniquity. And then God, who's very personal, he is your God. He is your God. He's very personal. He anoints us with the oil of gladness above our fellows. This is beautiful too. Again, we're speaking of the anointing of God coming to those who ask, those who seek God, those who ask him for the Holy Spirit, those who repent and are baptized in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's what else we get. Once we get that anointing, it says in 1 John 1, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. See, that's the Holy Spirit. It's in us, abiding, living. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things and is truth and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. So as we seek God, as we learn about him, as we Stick our nose in our book. And again, we use the King James Version of the Bible here on Get Your Love On for good reason. It's because it's the closest to the original transcripts. We don't want anything watered down. We don't want anything taken out. We want everything that God intended for us to have. And then also we get to dive in a little deeper and get those Greek and Hebrew meanings and really get that deep understanding, such as we did with that word anointed that we are the hands of God. Isn't that beautiful? Today we're talking about anointings and how we get to ask God for a very unique specific anointing to our own personality. And it's not something that uh, you have to do anything beyond asking God for. So let's go to the book of Esther. It's in the Old Testament. And this is one of the most profound stories in the word because it showcases the great power of an anointing and how when God chooses to anoint someone, uh, there's a great purpose behind it. And when you feel that anointing in your heart, in your mind, you feel that purpose of life in your heart and your mind to go for it because there's a great purpose in it. 
So let's go to Esther. We'll start in chapter two, a little background. The king of the day decided that he needed a new queen. His former queen lost favor with him through her own arrogance. She thought she was uh, too cool for school. So he simply decided to look out across the land for a young woman to replace the queen. Quite the edict. And it says in chapter two, verse four, and let the maiden with please the king be queen instead of Vashti. And the thing pleased the king, and he did so. And now in Shushan, the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shimi, the son of Kish, a Benjaminite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity, which had been carried away with Jekoi, the king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, carried away. And he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, the uncle's daughter. So Mordecai brought up his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. She was an orphan. And the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when his fa- her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. So again, she was an orphan. Mordecai raised her up as his very own daughter. So it came to pass when the king's commandment and decree was heard, and when when many maidens were gathered together unto Shushan the palace, to the custody of Haggai, that Esther was brought unto the king's house, to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women. And the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness with him, and he speedily gave her things for purification, which such as belonged to her, and seven maidens, which were meet to be given to her out of the king's house. And he preferred her and her maids unto the best place of the house of the women. So Esther showed up on the scene. She's an orphan and obviously a refugee because Mordecai was a a refugee. He was taken out of Jerusalem, had no um, sort of foundational understanding of how to be in a king's house. And yet she found grace and kindness with the man who was in charge of overseeing the women that the king was going to choose to be the new queen. Isn't that wonderful? That's an anointing from God. That when, when God gives us that anointing, he will, he will make even our adversaries. He'll give us the wisdom that our adversaries can't say anything against. And again, we've got that coming up from our dear friend Carol, too. She'll minister more on that wisdom of God. But Esther clearly had it here because she found immediately, she found favor and and kindness. Now here's verse 10. Esther had not shown her people nor her kindred, for Mordecai had charged her that she should not show it. She wasn't running around saying, hey, I'm, I'm a Jew, everybody. In fact, she was being very discreet, very wise in that, following the directions of, of her, um, you know, of her adopted father. And Mordecai walked every day before the court of the women's house to know how Esther did and what should become of her. So here's 12 months later. So he was checking in on her. And 12 months later, each woman was offered whatever she wanted before to go to the king. Now, on the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her for his daughter, was come in unto the king. She required nothing but what... Haggai, the king's chamberlain, the keeper of the women, appointed. So all these other women, they were allowed to put on the jewels and the royal apparel and all the fancy garb. Esther didn't require any of that. She just said, go ahead, whatever you got for me. Because she was humble 
and she was meek and she was intended to allow God to do the work. It wasn't her running out and trying to accomplish anything. She was in this situation and she just figured, okay, here I am. The Lord's going to do the work through me. She had that faith. Here we go. Verse 16. So Esther was taken unto King Azarias into his house royal in the 10th month, which is the month of Tebeth. Verse 17. And the king loved Esther above all women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king made a great feast unto all his princes and his servants, even Esther's feast. And he made a release to the provinces and gave gifts according to the state of the king. And when the virgins were gathered together the second time, then Mordecai sat in the king's gate. Esther had, Esther had not showed her people or her kindred as Mordecai has charged her. For Esther did the commandment of Mordecai, like as when she was brought up with him. So she was queen and she was still remembering those really, that key wisdom that he gave her. And it would really come into benefit her and all the Jewish people. So in those days, this is verse 21, in those days, while Mordecai sat in the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains who kept, who of those which kept the door were wroth and sought to lay hands on the king. And the thing was known to Mordecai, and he told it to, king, to Esther the queen, and Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. And when the inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out. Therefore, these two conspirators were both hanged on a tree, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. Now, this is a very important detail. Because it illustrates how God goes before us in all things. Let's find out now what happens. In Esther 3, there is a man named Haman. And I'm going to consolidate Esther 3 for the sake of time. But this young man, Haman, uh, he thought he was pretty hot to trot. And the king agreed. In fact, the king advanced him, it says in Esther 3 verse 1, and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. So this man Haman had great favor with the king as well and thought of himself to be a big shot. So the king commanded, it says in verse 2, and all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence. Yeah, as Christians, we don't bow to anyone but God Almighty. We bow to him, him alone. Mordecai knew that. This guy Haman wasn't anything special, and he wasn't about to bow. And so what happens is this Haman, because in verse 5, when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath, uh-oh, and he thought scorn to lay hands on Mordecai alone. For they had showed him the people of Mordecai, wherefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews that were throughout the whole kingdom, even the people of Mordecai. So this Haman was so angry, he wanted to not only kill Mordecai, he wanted to kill all of his people. And Haman went to the king. 
And he said this, this is Esther 3, verse 8. There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people, neither keeping the king's laws. Therefore, it is not for the king's profit to suffer them. Isn't that the definition of wickedness? We've seen this throughout history, a demonization of a certain people, and especially Jews, and especially people who stand for righteousness. And it's always, they're always tried to poo-poo, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. Oh, they're not keeping the laws. They're not following the rules. And it doesn't profit the king to suffer them. Now, here's the wickedness, though. And we spoke earlier about how Jesus Christ healed all those that were oppressed of the devil. Here's the devil speaking, trying to oppress the Jewish people. So let's, let's tune our ear to how this works and see if there are some similarities to what's going on in our current day and age. It says in verse 9, If it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed, and I, this is Haman speaking, will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasury. And the king took his ring from his hand and gave it unto Haman, the Jews' enemy. And the king said unto Haman, The silver is given to thee, the people also, to do with them as it seemeth good to thee. Then were the king's scribes called on the thirteenth day, and there was written according to all that Haman had commanded unto the king's lieutenants, and to the governors that were over every province, and to the rulers of every people of every province according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language, in the name of the king was it written and sealed with the king's ring. And the letters were sent by posts into all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to cause to perish all Jews, both young and old, little children and women, in one day, even upon the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month Adar, and to take the spoil of them for a prey. This is the definition of wickedness right here. All because Mordecai stood for righteousness. Let's see what God had in plan, had in mind. Now the copy of the writing for a commandment to be given now the copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people that they should be ready against that day. The post went out being hastened by the king's commandment and the decree was given in Shushan the palace and the king and Haman sat down to drink. Oh, well, why not? They thought they all had all the power and Haman in his conspiracies thinking, oh, I know what I'm doing. I got this done. Well, the city, but the city Shushan was perplexed. <laughs> yeah, very bizarre edict going out there. There's a lot of bizarre edicts going out right now across our land as well. So let's see how Esther handled it and Mordecai handled it with great wisdom, not allowing the righteousness of God to be compromised and exposing the oppression of Satan. So when Mordecai perceived all that was done, he rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry and came even before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews and fasting and weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maid and her chamberlains, she's queen now, came and told it to her. 
Then was the queen exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai, and to take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. Then called Esther for Haddich, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. She was understanding that all of her people were upset. She didn't quite have the full story, so she's asking for that. So Haddich went forth to Mordecai under the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him and the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Also, he gave him a copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them and show it unto Esther and to declare it unto her and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him and to make the request before him for her people. Now, remember, up to this point, Esther hadn't shown her people and there was great wisdom in that. But now the Lord's going to require her to stand, to take a righteous stand. And again, Esther, and then Haddish came back and told Esther what Mordecai said. Again, Esther sent Haddish and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. And she said, all the king's servants and the people of the king's province do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, There is one law of his to put him to death, except such of whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called in to come unto the king these thirty days. And they told Mordecai Esther's words. So Esther's saying, look, I can't go before the king even to save the Jews, lest I be killed, unless the king holds out his golden scepter. And she goes, he hasn't even called me in thirty days. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther. Here's here's his response to her and her concern. Now, again, she's been a little bit removed from him and his leadership. She's kept his commandments and his sayings, but her strength and her courage comes from his wisdom that he's about to share right now. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther. Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Mordecai gave Esther the perfect answer. Now's the time to show your people. Now's the time to stand for righteousness in the midst of this very wicked plan. Now is the time. Because Mordecai also understood that God is the great deliverer. He does heal those that are oppressed of Satan. So he knew, Esther, either you're going to be part of this deliverance or not. It's your call. And that's what it is to be anointed of God. We get to choose. Do we want to be part of God's work or not? Let's choose to be part of it. And Esther did. And and she said, Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast for me. And neither eat nor drink three days or not, days, night or day, 
I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. And Mordecai went his way and did all that Esther commanded him. Now, Esther used great wisdom to uh, get Haman in front of the king. And she used great wisdom to be able to tell the king that there's this great plot against her people. And she got a banquet together and and she put it beautifully together. I'll encourage you to go read all of the book of Esther. But we're going to fast forward a little bit and go to Esther chapter 7, verse 5. Now they're at this banquet now. And And Azarias, the king, answered unto Esther, the queen, and said, Who is he? And where is he that durst presume in his heart to do so? Speaking of this plot to kill her people, the Jews. And Esther said, The adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman. (laughs) And they're in a, a nice little lunch gathering that Esther, the queen, set up. And so Haman ended up. And here, here, I'll just, I'll read this. Then Haman was afraid before the king and the queen, rightfully so. And the king, arising from the banquet of wine in his wrath, went into the palace garden. And Haman stood up to make request for his life to Esther the queen. For he saw that there was evil determined against him by the king. Then the king returned out of the palace garden into the place of the banquet wine, and Haman was fallen upon the bed whereon Esther was. Uh Uh-oh. Then the king, I mean, it just, Haman can't do anything right. Then said the king, will he force the queen also before me in the house? As the word went out of the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. And Haman, and so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. So he was going to kill Mordecai, Mordecai, uh, because he wouldn't bow to him. And Haman ended up getting hanged on those gallows. Now, part of the reason that Mordecai, he was actually honored by the king because he saved the king's life. So again, I'll encourage you to read all of the book of Esther and just how the Lord interwove so much wisdom into her actions and Mordecai's actions so that they stood righteously and saved all of the Jewish people. Now, after Haman was gone, they eliminated that decree and peace came across the entire land. So that's the great anointing that came upon an orphan and a refugee. And now we're going to talk about how we can ask God for that true anointing and we can ask God for more too. So I have an incredible minister here, our dear friend, Carol. She's my spiritual grandmother, an incredible champion of the Lord. Now, when her husband passed, she was a widow and with great trembling in her soul, received the anointing of her husband to be a true apostle in this land. So she's our dear friend, again, my spiritual grandmother. She's teaching some young people the value and importance of seeking, craving, and most importantly, asking God for wisdom in all things. So that's something we can all do as well. So here's a beautiful message. It's called Wisdom, the Principal Thing. I want to ask uh, especially you young ones a question, but it can be for everybody. 
What do you want to ask God for right now? What's the most important thing you, th you could think of right now to ask God for, for you personally? What would that be? Just think about it and hold it in your heart and mind. And maybe by the time we're done with the message, it'll expand or even change a little bit. So let's go to, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go with me to uh, 1 Kings 3. And I'm titling this message, Wisdom, the Principal Thing. So in 1 Kings 3, we're going to learn the story of how Solomon was addressed by the Lord, and the Lord appeared to him. In 1 Kings 3, starting in verse 5, In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. Can you imagine the Lord just... Just imagine the Lord right in your spirit right now asking you that same question. Ask, what do you want me to give you? What do you want right now? What's the most important thing to you to carry out the rest of your life? And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before you in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. So he was reviewing, well, this is what my father did. And you have kept for him this great kindness that you've given him a son to sit on the throne as it is this day. And now he gets real specific here. Here's Solomon telling the Lord what he wants. And now, oh Lord my God, because he's been put in the place of kingship here. Now remember, David has gone on to be with the Lord. His father isn't, isn't with him anymore. And he's just telling the Lord, oh Lord, how am I going to do this? I'm left in, in, in David's place here. I'm king now. What am I supposed to do? So here's his, here's his soul rehearsing. And now, oh Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king, or me. Thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. Now, maybe that's you in different stages of your young life or your old one. From time to time, we do have to examine ourselves and take a look at it all, don't we? And I'm sure that's, that phrase has probably crossed our lips several times in our life. And he says, And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. He said, I'm, I'm king over all. All this people, and I can't even number them. There's so many. So here's what he says. Give therefore thy servant, or me, give me an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this so great a people? Let's look at the, what the Hebrew really means with, with judging. How am I, give me an understanding heart to judge thy people. Well, in the Hebrew... It means to vindicate or punish. So you either, you either, you know, if there's a criminal out there, he has to know how to deal with that criminal. If a victim occurs and he needs to vindicate that victim, he needs to know how to do that. By extension, to govern. So if you're in a place of judgeship, you have to govern. To litigate, in other words, in a court of law. So he, a judge does all these things. They avenge, condemn, they contend. For the innocent, they defend the innocent, they execute judgment, they are a judge, they give out judgment, they plead and they reason and they rule. 
So that's what he was, he was going to give all, have all this. And he says, that I may discern between good and bad. Now, discern means to scrutinize properly. It doesn't just mean stare somebody down. It means through the Spirit you will know. You scrutinize through the Spirit, not through the natural mind. And there's a big difference because uh, um, discernment is one of the gifts of the Spirit. It's something God gives you, and he will give you that ability to know what kind of a spirit somebody's got, what they're manifesting, and what's going on generally around you. So ask God for that like Solomon did. So it means to scrutinize in the spirit, to look intently at. You size up a matter and you look intently at it through the spirit, not through your own mind, but through the spirit. Oh, Lord, what is this? What's going on? Sum it up for me and wait for his voice. To acknowledge, be acquainted with, care for, respect, revere, sometimes to, you know, if you get the discernment of the Spirit, you are taught to just disregard or ignore something. Because why? Because it's wisdom. You can act strange towards something if you need to. And that's another aspect of wisdom. You can reject a wrong spirit if you need to. That's also God's wisdom. Or, on the other hand, if it's wise, you can just resign yourself to a matter and go, well, you know what, I'll go along with this as long as there's no harm to me right now. I can go along with this and I can fit in for now. And that might be your wise choice. It's quite an expanded meaning. So let's go back. So he says, I want to discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this so great a people? And after he got done praying, here's what the Lord thought about it. And the speech, what he said, pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. So God said unto him, here's what the Lord said back, because you've asked this thing and has, has not asked for thyself long life, neither has asked riches for thyself, nor has asked the life of thine enemies, but had, has asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Be, behold, he says, watch this. He says, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. Did you know, you young ones, you can be just like this in your generation as you're growing up? You can have this great capacity for wisdom like Solomon just obtained, and even more because Jesus made a statement in the New Testament he, when he was present among the people one day, he said, the Queen of Sheba came all the way from Africa to hear my wisdom, to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, he says, look, look at me right now. He says, a greater than Solomon is here. <laughs> Who do you think he was talking? He was talking about himself. And if he says, I'm greater than Solomon and I'm here. And if, and if Jesus is greater than Solomon... And he was there then, and he's here now, and he's inside of you. How much greater will be your wisdom? All you have to do is just cultivate it. Just dwell on it before the Lord and cultivate that. So the Lord goes on to reward Solomon even further, and he says, I have also given you that which you haven't asked, both riches and honor. The word honor means this. It's really weighty. It means honor, glory, Great quantity, he gave him honor and riches and, and, and his wisdom, 
He gave him a multitude. He gave him all those people. He gave him wealth. This is the meaning of honor. Reputation or majesty and splendor. Solomon had it all. There's, there's more to this meaning, too, in the Hebrew. It means great. There's a weightiness to your words. Lord says, when you're filled with the Spirit, I'll give you weight. Your words will have great weight. So that's part of having the honor of God. And he says, so there shall, there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And he says, if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments, as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. And Solomon awoke. It was the end of the dream. He said, he awoke and behold, it was a dream. And so he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And he, in, that, in those days, they offered up burnt offerings and, and peace offerings. So he offered up burnt offerings and offered peace offerings and made a feast to all his servants. So that, there was a celebration at the end of this dream. So Solomon's given all this, right? Well, what are we going to do? You know, wisdom, it can come through our speech. It can be spoken wisdom, and it can also be acted out. In this case, right next to it, in 1 Kings 3, verse 16, Solomon acts out a particular wisdom that God had given him. This was action here. He put his wisdom into action. This is really inc an incredible story for you young ones. Watch what he did. It says in, in 1 Kings 3.16, There came there two women who were harlots unto the king and stood before him. They wanted to get an answer. So here's Solomon acting out his wisdom. And the one woman said, O oh my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house, and I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third, after, the third day after that I was delivered, that this woman was delivered also. So one woman had her baby three days earlier. The other one had hers three days later. So they both got these new babies. Okay, here we go. And we were together. And there was no stranger with us in the house, just we two in the house. And this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. Now, it's very common for a mother to take a child, you know, lay down on the bed, nurse it, and have it in her bosom. Well, if you turn over too much in your sleep and you could snuff the life out of that little tiny baby. It happens even in modern day. That's what she means by she overlaid it. Well, she snuffed the... She it was an accident. Did, nobody did it on purpose. It's just something that happened in, in the middle of the, of the sleeping night. And this woman's child died in the night because she overlaid it. And she arose at midnight and took my son from, from beside me while, your, while thy handmaid slept and laid it in her bosom and laid her dead child in my bosom. So this woman is telling the king, here's what happened. And when I arose in the morning to give my child suck, behold, it was dead. But when I had considered it in the morning, behold, it was not my son, which I did bear. Now listen to how the other woman's attitude is. And the other woman said, no, but the living is my son and the dead is your son. So here's strife. And, and this one said, no, but the dead is thy son, and the living is my son. Thus they spake before the king. Now here, talk about acting out his wisdom. Then said the king, well, one of you says, this is my son that lives, and thy son is, de is the dead. And the other says, no, but th your son is dead, 
and my son is the living. And the king said to his servants, bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two, give half to the one and half to the other. It created a reaction. Listen to this. Then spake the woman, whose the, living, whose the living child was, unto the king, for her bowels yearned upon her son. And she said, Oh, my Lord, give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. But the other said, No, let it be neither mine nor thine, but divide it. Listen to the king's answer. Then the king answered and said, Give her, the one that loved, give her the living child, and in no wise slay it. She is the mother thereof, the one that loved her child and was willing to give him up just so he could stay alive. It's pretty, pretty great, isn't it? And all Israel heard of the judgment with the, which the king had judged, and they feared the king. For they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do judgment. See how Solomon brought out that bad spirit? Now let's just take a sword, we'll cut her down, and you can each have half. The true mother was willing to give her son to that evil woman just so that son could stay alive. And Solomon knew how to bring that factor right out in the open. He didn't have to do anything. He didn't have to argue with them. Nothing. He just used that fantastic wisdom that God gave him on the spot. He didn't have to go consult with lawyers. It was right there. His, the words were in his mouth. Isn't it great? I want you young kids to covet that kind of wisdom because it's already residing in you. Just get before the Lord and say, lead me, guide me, and direct me today because I want to do what's wise from now on. So it comments more about Solomon in 1 Kings 4. We'll go over a little bit of that. 1 Kings 4 and starting in verse 29. So here's how God summarized it about Solomon. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. I want that to be said about each of you in this room from this day forward. Mm -hmm. You won't fail at anything in life. You'll be able to make the wisest decisions on the spot because you, why, especially if you pray before you get up out of your bed in the morning and say, Lord, lead me, guide me, and direct me and give me that wisdom, the wisdom that you had on earth that was greater than Solomon's. And said, and Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the East Country and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men. How would you like to be that? Well, you can. You can be wiser than all men. You will be able to handle a situation with wisdom. You will be able to handle a, situ a situation with great wisdom, no matter what is in front of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For, and his fame was in all nations round about. Want the Lord to make you famous? Well, you will be. But start in your own circle. Start where you actually live. And it'll go out from there. So Solomon, he would express, he could express his wisdom. It said he spake 3,000 proverbs. Now, when you go to the book of Proverbs, those are mostly Solomon's writings. Did you know that? 
Yeah, it's mostly his writings where he said a poor and a wise child is better than an old and foolish king who will no more be admonished. Things like that he brought up. He spake of trees and from the cedar tree that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. He spake of beasts and fowl and creeping things and of fishes. He was a biologist, the leading biologist of his time. And guess who gave him all that? It was God on the spot. He just knew it like Adam knew it in the garden and named stuff. Yeah, God really did a number. He can do that for, I mean, instantaneously in your voice, in your actions, whatever you do. So it says, There came all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth which had heard of his wisdom. And the Lord gave Solomon wisdom as he had promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon. And they too made a league together. He was, this wisdom was so great, he was even able to make peace with the nations that were round about him. Where before, some of them were probably most likely his enemies and were his enemies. Now peace came into the whole country. There was peace in Solomon's day. The Lord gave it. Now, we studied a little bit about discernment, so I'm just going to go on down to, to Proverbs 4. Let's look at the meaning of wisdom because it's really broad. So we're talking about that right now. What does it really mean? It means to be wise in your mind, in mind, word, or act. Like we saw Solomon acted out. Bring me a sword. He knew what to do right on the spot. That was acting it out. So he was wise in, in mind, word, and action. It means exceeding to be able to teach wisdom or make yourself wise. To deal wisely, make wiser. Wise, intelligent, skillful, or artful. There's different kinds of wisdom that God gives. Cunning man, subtle, wise-hearted. Wisdom in a good sense, skillful. In the Greek, it means thoughtful. So before you get up to, you know, go for the day, be thoughtful toward the Lord. What's that going to do? It's going to invite that wisdom into your life. Learn to not be self-willed and running ahead of the Lord just with your own, you know, in your own energy or your own strength. But take a moment, sit back, and let's get thoughtful first. Lord, how would you do this? How would you want me to make the decision on this? So if you're thoughtful, you become discreet or sagacious. It means implying a cautious character. Uh, wisdom just doesn't dart out and run ahead on something. It... It stands back, takes up, sizes up the whole situation, and it has a note of cautiousness about it. In other words, you, just to take time to size something up, you have to exercise a little caution. You don't just run out and kind of like let things or do things and let things happen. Okay, so it denotes practical skill or acumen. It indicates intelligence and mental acquirement. All of that, of course, can be gotten right from his word. In a bad sense, it can be conceited. Well, people who think they're just the greatest, that's just, they think they're wise. They're wise in their own eyes, but that's not the kind of wisdom the Lord gives. He gives you the true wisdom that's from him. And it means to deal prudently, too, to be just very judicious. Yeah, wise, wise. So go to Proverbs 4 with me here for a little bit, and we're going to just read through a few instructions. 
Here's good wisdom. And this is written down by Solomon. Hear you children. I'm in verse 1. Hear you children. The instruction of a father. You have a heavenly father. You're getting those good instructions. Yes. And attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Or the right teaching. Doctrine just means the right teaching. The teaching of the word. So he says, I give you good doctrine. Forsake ye not my law. I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words. In order to retain God's words, we have to let them sink in, don't we? We have to kind of let them settle down and meditate on them. Well, you know what? Every day that you do that, it's going to bring you more wisdom. So I urge you to go at, you know, covet that. Be wanting that. Be wanting to do that. Let thine heart retain my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, he says. Get understanding. Forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forget her not. Who's her? Well, it's wisdom personified. He's speaking of wisdom as if she was a lady. In other words, a forecast of the church of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Her, the bride, the bride of Christ, is a her, a she. So forsake her not. Wisdom. Forsake not wisdom, and she shall preserve thee. So if, the, if you seek for her, guess what? Guess what you get? She's going to preserve you. You won't have a falling out, a being dumped or being embarrassed or, you know, you will be able to stand and in a dignified manner upon your standing with your head held high. Mm -hmm. That's what the Lord wants for each of you. Hold your head up high. Don't look down here. He's not down here in the sand. He's up here. When Jesus blessed the meal, he looked up and, and broke the bread and blessed it, didn't he? Wisdom. Forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Yeah, if we love his word, and we are looking at it every day for ourselves, guess what that word's going to do? It's going to keep you. It's going to keep me. Wisdom is the principal thing. All right? It just means it's the first thing of all. It's in first place. Wisdom is in first place. It's in first time, order, and rank. It's first in all those categories. In place, in time, in order, and in rank. It's the beginning. Didn't the Lord say, I am the beginning, I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's wisdom. Yeah, the chiefest or first fruits. It also means, there's a uh, slightly a shade of meaning in the Hebrew, meaning a pillow for the head, a bolster. In other words, if you have wisdom, you can lay down at night, and that pillow of wisdom will just woo you to sleep and give you the best sleep you ever had. It's something you, your heart and mind can rest on. It bolsters you, right? Cool. So no wonder Solomon said wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. Well, how do you, I mean, it isn't, again, we look at that. Get wisdom. What do you, what do you, what's that mean? What do you do? What, how do you get it? Well, you don't just get it by laying there and hoping that things will just kind of go along. It doesn't fall out of the sky. Guess what? We have to seek it. 
How many of you are seekers? How many of you, you're laying on your bed and you're, you're seeking, you're asking the Lord, what? Tell me, tell me, Lord. And you're, you just want to be so in touch with him. That's what getting wisdom is. When you seek it, you'll get it. Get wisdom, he said. Be earnest about it. Be diligent. Dig into the word. Ask the Lord. Just like God said to Solomon then, ask what I shall give thee. In other words, how much do you really want this? Are you willing to dig for it? Are you willing to get alone with me in your room and really cry out with tears and with, with weeping and with seeking me? If necessary, yes. It doesn't mean every day is going to be like that. Some days will be just rejoicing and thank you. But other days you're, you have to be in earnest because you need it so bad. Mm-hmm. Ask, seek, and knock is how Jesus put it. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek, knock, and it shall be opened to you. Seek, and you shall find. For everyone that asketh, receives. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Mm -hmm. It shall be opened. Yeah. Whenever you need a word from the Lord. You know what Brother Bob used to do? He'd come in sometimes, he needed the word of the Lord so bad. If I didn't have this mic on right now, I'd act it out. He'd get down right in the middle of the room. We were sitting there. He'd get on his knees, and he'd just start knocking. Bang, 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 and make loud noises. It was a hard floor. Bang, 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 bang. Lord, I'm knocking. Got a word for me? How long do you think the room was silent? Up jumped the prophets, and he'd have that word of the Lord. And he goes, oh, thank you, Lord. My mind is clear now. I think more of us need to do that more often. But like I said, if I didn't have this mic on, I'd be down there right now doing it. Mm-hmm. So I want your children to cultivate that too. You can, do, you can be that way. Be very persistent. Yeah. You're not showing off for anyone else. It's your spirit earnest before the Lord. You can do it in your bedroom. You can do it alone. When you're out in the yard, in your car, or even if there's people present and you need a word from the Lord, you can get down there. That's what getting wisdom is. And with all thy getting, he said, get understanding. Isn't that great? You will get understanding. It means knowledge, perfect knowledge. And wisdom is all included in it. When you have wisdom, you're able to stand in someone else's place and know what they go through. That's called understand. You're standing under them because you're looking at what they go through and you could take their place understanding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have a compassion and a care for others that like only that only God could give his Christian people and does. And I see it all around me here every day. Exalt her. So we have to lift wisdom up. We have to give it place in our lives. Not just kind of bumble along and stumble along. We give we have to really acknowledge wisdom. It says exalt her and she shall promote thee. Yeah, better believe it. She shall bring thee to honor when thou dost embrace her. Embracing wisdom, studying the word, praying, meeting with God's people, and the communication of saints. That's how we get it. With all that getting, get understanding. Iron sharpeneth iron. Another, your friends were born for what you may have to go through. They may be the very ones that help you through. So what a journey. 
We're uh, promoting wisdom. We're exalting her. We're promoting her. She's bringing us to honor, and we're embracing her. Quite a, quite a love relationship, isn't it? Mm -hmm. She shall give to thine head an ornament of grace. When you have an ornament of grace, you're beautiful. <laughs> you just are. It radiates everywhere. The glory of the Lord is seen from your countenance. Like Isaiah promised, the glory of the Lord shall, be, shall shine upon thee, shall rest upon thee. That was his promise way back in Isaiah's time. A crown of glory shall she deliver to thee. Did you know each one of you walk around with a spiritual crown? You have yours. You have a crown. It's just not visible to the naked eye, but if you could see how beautiful it was. Oh, my goodness. It's very weighty. So therefore, hold your head high because you have to carry your crown well. Oh, hear, O oh my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of thy life shall be many. I have taught thee in the way of wisdom. I have led thee in right paths. And here's his promise to us. When you go, thy steps shall not be straightened or put out of uh, you know, order. When thou runnest, thou shalt not stumble. But get wisdom first. Don't just run out there quick on your own. No self-will here. Only the Lord incorporating in. Then you're not going to stumble. You'll be, you'll be walk on perfectly. He says, take fast hold of instruction. I pray you're doing that today, you young ones, because this is your life. This is what's going to get you through very, very strong and beautiful. Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Don't even let it go for a minute. Keep your mind on what, what the Lord has for you and what's in this word. Keep her, he says, for she is thy life. And this is good too. Enter not into the path of the wicked and go not in the way of evil men. Mm -hmm. Good one. He says, avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it and pass away. Whenever you can deflect a bad spirit, the Lord gives you wisdom to do it. There's times and places for everything. And I'm going to get on that subject a little bit more later. So the wicked are like this. They, they sleep not except they have done mischief, and their sleep is taken away unless they cause some to fall. Well, they're not going to cause you, you guys to fall. None of them out there will. Why? Because you're getting well equipped. You know how David did when that javelin of Saul came toward him? He just went, threw it at him to kill him. David, with his wisdom, just stepped out of the way, and he avoided that javelin every single time. But that's what David did. He learned to listen to the voice of the Lord. He said, move, move now, move right, move left, because that javelin was coming straight at him. He stepped out every time he stepped out of the way. You can read about it in King David. I won't go uh, into it right now, but that's what I said. You won't fall. You'll be able to step out of the way. Or just because of your wisdom, you'll, you'll be able to deflect anger or a bad spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you know that the Lord will put even a soft, if you have an angry spirit around you, the Lord will put a soft answer in your mouth. And that turns away that person's wrath. A soft answer turneth away wrath. See, all of these things you will start to get skillful in because you will be, you know, you face different things at different times. It says, the wicked eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the just, that means th those of us who are justified by faith, 
the Christian, but the path of the just or the Christian is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. So there's no, there's no wisdom or instruction to help them. They just stumble through life. All right, my son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. Here's how, you, how we keep God's instruction. We just keep it in the, middle of, in the midst of our heart. How do you keep something in the midst of your heart? Well, you think about it. You ponder it. Mm-hmm. Meditate. I will meditate in thy ways day and night, David said. It also helps when we get together among saints. Because again, the word goes forth and it brings our mind into attention on these things. So he says, um, put away from thee a froward mouth. And the word froward doesn't mean forward. It means crooked. Out of the right path. Turned aside. That's what froward means. So put away from thee a froward mouth. And perverse lips put far from thee. Learn to speak those good things that the Lord puts in your heart and mind as you cultivate him and as you dwell on him. It says, let thine eyes look right on and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet. This is good wisdom. Before you just jump out and do something, take a good step back, take a good look and go, well, Lord, I think I'm just going to counsel you here first. What's the best way to do this? What's your wisdom? What's your word for me on this? Uh huh. And then, oh, does it come? Give sweet instructions. So if we ponder the path of our feet, it says, let all thy ways be established. Guess what? With this wisdom today that you're hearing, you're not going to be jerked around anymore. Because the Lord says your ways are going to be established. Mm-hmm. So don't let anybody jerk you around. Don't care what spirit it is. So it says, turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Someone gets riled up against you, just get quiet. Speak a a kind word to them if you can. Disappear into your room. Go into your word. Say, Lord, just give me your peace. Just restore my balance now. Keep my balance. Mm -hmm. And learn to have a soft answer that turns away wrath. Yeah, he goes on in Proverbs. I'll just quote a few verses here. Proverbs 16, 16. This is something to consider. How much better is it to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver? Some people, all they want to do is stack up money in their life. And boy, ask our accountant here where the hearts of men are in this time and age. Yeah. Proverbs seventeen sixteen. Wherefore, is there a price in the hand of a fool to get wisdom, seeing he has no heart to it? A fool, a fool has no heart to try to get wisdom. And, you know, different ones of you are going to be dealing with that. Some of you already are. Here's the meaning of the word foolish. <laughs> this, is, this is funny. Dull or stupid, heedless, can't, they don't take words from anybody or any instruction. Morally a blockhead. And apparently absurd. There's ways to deal with the foolish. When you have the wisdom of God, you will be able to counter that according to the Spirit. Now, we have a report here uh, from the Queen of Sheba, and I'd just like to go over that. What she saw, 
This queen came all the way from Africa with a big long procession and camels and she was bearing gifts for Solomon. She came a long ways. Why? Because she wanted to learn of his wisdom. She'd heard things about him way over in Africa, from the Middle East to Africa is a long, long way by foot. They didn't fly airplanes in those days. She, she went on a long pilgrimage, a journey, to, to go up and see what Solomon had to tell her. So here's what, here's what happened. And when the queen, of, this is 1 Kings 10, verse 4. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all of Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat at his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers. Isn't that something that's just like the church? Mm -hmm. She saw all these things that had come about because of Solomon's rule and because of his wisdom. Everything was in lovely and in order and a sight to behold. She saw that his table, the food that was on it, a great spread, the sitting of his servants, the attendance of his ministers. People were waiting on Solomon hand and foot. And their apparel, just the way they were dressed, gorgeous robes and everything, his cupbearers. If he needed a drink of water, somebody handed it to him. Or a drink of wine, somebody handed it to him in a cup. And his ascent by which he went up unto the house of the Lord. There were all these steps he had to climb up into the temple. And there was no more spirit in her. It just took her breath out. And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit, I believed not the words until I came. And mine eyes had seen it, and behold, the half was not told me. I didn't even know that. I didn't even see the, I didn't even understand the half of it. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceeds the fame which I heard. More than I even heard about, she said, way more. Happy are thy men. Happy are these thy servants. Who brought that? God's wisdom the wisdom that he gave Solomon, spread out to everybody. The wisdom that he gives the, the individual Christians in the body of Christ spreads out to everybody. Are we happy? Yes, we're happy. Well, who brings that happiness? Only the Lord. Only the Lord. This was a result of that promise that God had kept to Solomon. He says, give me a wise and an understanding heart. All of a sudden, everybody was happy. When the right spirit is in the midst, everybody is happy happy. It's, it's just a result of all. Happy are they men and happy are these thy servants which stand continually before thee and that hear thy wisdom. Yeah, wisdom makes us happy. Like I said, that pillow that you can lay, that bolster, you can lay down on it. It supports you. Blessed be the Lord thy God which delighted in thee, she said to him, to set thee on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. A type of the church. Therefore, made he the king to do judgment and justice. And look, in her procession, as she's coming forth across the desert, she has all these camels and servants for a reason. Here's what she gave the king. She gave the king 120 talents of gold and of spices, very great store, and precious stones. There came no more such abundance of spices as these which the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Now, spices were a rarity in those days. Not every country had them. Some countries had to go f to far lands to get them, to even get them. They found out today, they've researched what spices do for you, and they, they actually will heal your body 
reduce inflammation. They're good for your heart. They're good for your mind. I mean, these spices are really something. So she gave him all these spices and precious stones. There came no, no more such abundance of spices as these which the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. And the navy, King Hiram had an, a personal navy that brought gold from Ophir, brought in from Ophir, great plenty of almug trees and precious stones. They hauled this stuff in ships to give, it, give these gifts to Solomon. And the king made of the almug trees pillars for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, harps also and psalteries for singers. Musical instruments were made out of this wood. There came no such almug trees nor were seen unto this day. They were probably gigantic like the sequoia or the redwoods up in California. Great trees they had in that time. And King Solomon gave her gifts too. He says King Solomon gave the Queen of Sheba all her desire, whatsoever she asked, beside that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. And it tells all about the weight of the gold, and the king made a great throne of ivory, and the throne had six steps to get to the top of it. And there's more. So, uh, so in verse, down to verse 23, so King Solomon exceeded all the kings of the earth, for riches and for wisdom. Like if, if you were to take all the riches of this world right now, it would probably be about right for what Solomon had just in his coffers. So anyway, it says in verse 24, and all the earth, the whole world, came to, sought Solomon out to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. So Lord, say, Lord, drop that wisdom down in my heart. Drop it down inside of me every day so I know exactly what I'm supposed to do and say. We'll go down to, to Job chapter 12. There's just a few comments out of the book of Job here. And then pretty soon we're going to move on to the New Testament where Christ appears and teaches the people wisdom. Job 12, 12 and 13 says, With the ancient is wisdom. Yeah, who's the ancient of days? Well, it's God the Father. Yeah, um, Daniel, in the book of Daniel, Daniel saw the Ancient of Days on his throne. With the Ancient is wisdom, and in length of days, understanding. With him, God, is wisdom and strength. He has counsel and understanding. So what do we need to do? Ask, Lord, give me wisdom and understanding. Job 28 starting in 23. But where shall wisdom be found? This is the question one of them had in the book of Job. Where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? God understandeth the way thereof, and he knows the place thereof. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees under the whole heaven. Can you just imagine the eyes of the Lord look, going to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him or who is seeking his wisdom? Well, he'll do that for you, but we have to ask. So be sure and be asking plenty in the hours ahead here. He looks to the ends of the earth to see what you're going to ask him. He sees under the whole heaven to make the weight for the winds, and he weighs the waters by measure. He knows all the oceans and how much they weigh all the oceans, rivers, streams, he knows exactly how much they weigh. 
Who else would know that? <laughs> Nobody. But he could tell us right in our ear if we wanted to, if we particularly wanted to know that he could tell us in pounds or in, you know. It says, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then did he see it and declare it. He prepared it, yes, and stretched it out. And here's the concluding verse. And unto man, he said, here's what he says to us, behold, or look carefully, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Mm -hmm. So it is good that you kids, you know, when you need to, you depart from evil, but God will give you a perfect way to do it and the right timing to do it. It is necessary to depart from evil, but there's a way to do it that's safe for you and good for you. And we'll get into that. Now we'll go uh, to Daniel, a quick review of Daniel. Uh, Daniel 1, and we'll start in verse 4. He was with three other Hebrew children that were taken into captivity into the Babylonian kingdom, and it was a whole different culture, and they didn't worship the one true God. They worshiped idols and stuff like that. So here it was, God describes these Four Hebrew children, Daniel being one of them, said, children in whom was no blemish. They were perfect children. They were well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science. Oh, yeah. They were educated. It's good to be educated. It's good to understand science. And such had ability in them to stand in the king's palace. They were so um, well-equipped even though they were children of the they were prisoners, but they were given favor to stand in the king's palace and do what? The, the, and whom they might teach the learning and tongues of the Chaldeans. They could quickly learn the Chaldeans' language because they weren't dummies. They could learn it quickly. And as for these four children, in verse 17, as, as for these four children, here's what happened. God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding of all visions and dreams. Whoa. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, the king. And the king communed with them, these four children. He started talking with them. And among them all was found none like unto Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm or all his kingdom. These guys stood out above all his, the king's men. Now we'll go into the New Testament. Matthew 12, verse 42. Jesus said this to a group of people one day. He said, the king of the queen of the south, or Sheba, the one we just uh, read about the, uh, a little bit ago, the queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. He said, you've got to recognize me now because I'm here with you to bring the spirit of God into your midst. Some heard him. Some didn't. But those, those disciples and followers that did are the forerunners of all of us today. It's a good thing some had open ears that day, isn't it? 
Matthew 13, 54. And when he was come into his own country, so he was, Jesus was just walking the shores of Galilee and he's roaming around on the land of Israel. It says, when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue or their church building. Inasmuch as they were astonished, they'd never heard stuff like this, and said, whence has this man this wisdom? Where did this man have, bring these, this wisdom? Whence has this man this wisdom? And these mighty works, because remember, everywhere he went, he healed people. One day in the synagogue, there's a man was standing there with a withered hand, and he just said, stretch forth thy hand, and he went, and it was whole as the other. So wisdom was act, being acted out as well as being spoken, just like Solomon. You and I need to be doing the same things, even more so. I know you already are, but the Lord's going to say increase more because we have it in us. All right, now we're going to go to, to talk about foolish versus wise. Let's contrast them. In Matthew 25, the Lord talks a parable. He's teaching everybody a lesson, and this is what he says. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. In those days, the bridegroom would have these virgins that accompanied them to the wedding, and he would stay in a certain place until that until they blew the trumpet or had an announcement about the, way, about the bridegroom coming forth. But they, they had virgins that accompanied them, and they, they had lamps that walked along with him as he appeared, as he made himself known to the bride. Well, so here's these, these virgins that took their lamps, and they had to trim them, or they had to light them with these little flames, you know. And they went forth, they went on to meet the bridegroom, because he was coming. Now, here's what happened. Five of these virgins were wise, and five of them were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. These were oil lamps. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Why? Because they didn't know exactly when the bridegroom was, was going to arrive. And he was in, apparently a little late. He had... He wasn't coming exactly when they expected. So here's what happens. While the bridegroom tarried, or while he was still not there yet, they all slumbered and slept. So they took rest while they were waiting for him. And at midnight, there was a cry made. Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. So this was the custom. Virgins had to go out and have lit candles to go meet the bridegroom. And the bridegroom, he was, today we just call him the groom. And he was coming to get his bride, okay? That was the custom. All those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. All the wise ones, the wise ones had oil in their lamps so they, they could light the flame. Well, here's what happened. The foolish said to the wise, give us of your oil for our lamps are gone out. They got lazy. They didn't bring oil with them. And their lamps went out and they wanted to try to borrow from those that did have but the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell the oil and buy some for yourselves. Oil. Mm -hmm. No lamp works well without it. Oil is a type of the Spirit of God. Okay? If I just let my vessel leak out, I can't borrow it from my son. Can't borrow it from her or Rich. Nobody. I'm, my oil is gone out and I can't even light my lamp. See, oil is a type of the Spirit. And without oil, we can't be lit. 
We have to be a flame for the Lord, okay? If we have oil in our vessel or the Spirit, we'll be lit from within. Mm -hmm. What's the candle song tell us? Same thing. I don't remember the words. There is a candle in every soul. Some, some brightly burning, some dark and cold. Well, that's a type of those, fool, those foolish virgins let their lamps. There was no oil in them. They couldn't light them, and they were dark and cold. They wouldn't, they wouldn't do the bridegroom any good. They couldn't even meet the bridegroom properly. They were in a real crisis. They said, oh, let, can we borrow some ears? Can we borrow some ears? They said, no, we've only got enough for us. Did you know each one of us have got enough for our own soul? We can pour it out to others, but we can never let it leak out. If we let it leak out, we're in a, we're in a very dark, dark place. Never let your oil leak. Never let it go. Always keep it burning. Keep it burning. Keep that oil in there. How do you get the oil? Prayer, reaching out to the Lord, reading the word, and getting the fellowship. Today, today sitting in this room, we're actually restoring our supply of oil. Yeah, you can feel your lamp being filled up with oil, can't you? It's, it's just rising and rising. So here's what, okay, so here's what happened. So the wise answered, said, not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. You've got to get your own, in other words. We each have to seek God on our own. We can't get it from someone else. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. He came unexpectedly and suddenly. It's a type of the Lord's coming to return for us. He'll come, Jesus said, he'll come in an hour when you think not. So that's why we have to be ready. He could come right now. Are we ready? Yeah. The bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Guess what? Those other virgins couldn't even get in. They were standing outside. Afterwards came the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered them and said, Truly I say unto you, I don't even know you. Let's be sure that's not us. Yeah. We can't let our oil leak out so that he no longer recognizes us. He'll only recognize the ones with the oil in there and have their lamps trimmed. So, he, so the Lord said this, watch therefore. What do you, how do you mean watch? Watching in prayer, watching over your soul, taking a care of it, guarding it. We have to do that ourselves, but it's not hard. We just love the Lord and get in fellowship with him, don't we? Yeah, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. And we'll read quickly through, uh, you know, all know the uh, parable of the man that one man built his house. Again, it's wise and foolish, wise and foolish. The wise man built his house upon the rock and the foolish man built his house on the sand. Yes. Which one came out on top after the floods came? Rock. The one on the rock. Who's that rock? Jesus, that's right. Christ, Christ is the solid rock. Jesus said this, Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, let's see, that's all we need to do. Just hear him when he talks to us and put it into our heart and do, act on it. He says, I'll liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon, his, on a, upon a rock. Do you think your wisdom will stand you up? 
every day. If you seek it, it will. So get that oil and keep, the, keep that, the, your little lamp inside of you. Keep it trimmed. Keep it lit. Lit with the Spirit of God. All right, and he says, And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, just neglects them, lets them go, takes everything for granted. Oh, life will go along for me. I'm, I'll just mush through. I'll muddle through somehow. A lot of people do that. But he says, this is what happens to that kind of a person. If he says he hears the sayings of mine and does them not, likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. Remember the meaning of foolish? And we're talking spiritually here. Dull or stupid, heedless, can't tell him anything, blockhead, and apparently absurd. There you go. I think some of, you, of us know a lot of foolish people, but hey, with God's wisdom, we're able to carry ourselves through, aren't we? We're able to get through a matter, we're able to get around it, and we're able to ride it through. Mm -hmm. So this foolish man, he built his house on the sand. Let's see what happens. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Sometimes we have to bear with foolish people for a long time, but, you know, eventually their day comes. I could go through a lot more scriptures, but I'm going to give you a couple of promises from the Lord, and one is in Luke 21:15. This is what the Lord says he'll do for you that seek him and that want him, want more of him, and that are hungry for him. He says, I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. They won't be able to say anything bad about you if you be wise. Uh-huh. You will avoid great embarrassment. You'll avoid great evil to your life if you act out the wisdom of the Lord. Mm -hmm. They won't be able to resist the, the wisdom God gives you to speak and to act. In Acts 6, verse 3, this was the instruction given to the early church when they had some needs that came up. The elders... The apostles said this, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, that we may appoint over this business. What was the business? That to feed the widows, mm -hmm. distribute food and, and uh, needs, supplies to the widows. The, in, in order to even be able to do that small task, God required that they be full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. That's how much he cared about people being happy and satisfied. I think I'm going to skip right down to, uh, to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 1. And I, I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech and of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Yeah, you know, Paul, he was just so human. He, he got scared at times and his flesh trembled. He just kind of shook. But he says, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Ask the Lord for that, you young ones. Say, Lord, let my faith, don't let it stand in the wisdom of, of men, the natural man that I see around me, but let it stand in the power of you and your word. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.19. I'm going to go through these quickly. For the wisdom of this world, and you've seen some of it, 
Even you small children have seen some of it. The wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. He thinks it's absurd. In other words, yeah, the wisdom of this world's foolishness with God. Did you know that? For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And remember too, young ones, the wisdom is also a gift of the Spirit. And if you feel like you lack it or want more, just say, Lord, give me that wonderful gift of the Spirit called wisdom. Because he says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8, For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. It's yours. All you have to do is ask. In Ephesians 1, 8, it's, there's a promise about what, how Jesus thinks about us. It says, we're in, I'm in verse 8 of Ephesians 1, wherein he hath abounded toward us. That means just no limits of what he's giving us. He's abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, being discreet, judicious, wise. Mm-hmm. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And in Colossians 1, verse 9, Paul prayed, and he said this, For this cause we also, these are Paul's own words, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. I pray for you, kids. I pray for you, elders. And to desire that you, this is my prayer over you, that you might be filled with all the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. A good, a good word from the book of James goes like this. James 1, if any of you lack wisdom, have you ever thought to yourself, you had a moment, and you said, Lord, I just... You know, maybe I didn't handle something quite properly. I just lack some wisdom. Would you please give it to me? Did you know that's right on? Because he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally. Liberal means he just without limit, he'll give it to you. And upbraideth not. He's not going to chew you out for you asking for. He's going to give it to you. He doesn't upbraid you. He doesn't chew you out. He's not mad at you. In other words, he won't ever punish you for ask you asking him wisdom hey best thing you could ever ever do and it says and it shall be given him how how positive is the word shall it absolutely is a promise of god you can mark it in stone it's written in stone as it was as it was now here's the wisdom that's from above let's read james 3 starting in verse 13 and he asks a great question the Apostle James asks a great question here. You know what it is? He says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation or behavior his works with meekness of wisdom. And here's a different spirit all of a sudden now. He contrasts a different spirit. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, always yeah, battling something out, he said, then don't glory. And don't lie against the truth. This kind of wisdom, you see people fighting or striving. I'm sure you see it in the schools and the places where you work at times. And even in certain situations that you kids have to be put in. You see fighting and envying and striving and bad words, and evil words and, and foul language. 
He says, This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work present. But, here's the wisdom that God gives us. Listen to this. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. When you seek the Lord's wisdom, you're going to have peace. You're going to feel pure. And you will be. You are pure. I'm saying that to you right now, to your little souls. You are pure. Don't let any other spirit come and tell you otherwise. Hmm? And I don't care who tries to say it to you. You're pure. You're peaceable in the Lord. Gentle and easy to be entreated. In other words, a, a right spirit can talk to you and you can talk to a right spirit any time. Anytime, whatever's on your soul. I could talk to anyone in this room, including you kids, and feel very free about anything that was concerning me or anything on my soul. And I'd feel perfectly at peace about it. So this is the right wisdom that's from above. It's full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. You are what you are. You don't have to play, play act. And the, the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Now, practical wisdom. Here's something that First Peter taught us that's just essential for uneven situations that you get, in, get into. And there's, those times happen. Some of you have to be in different kinds of homes and all kinds of different things. So this is what the Lord says to do. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers or, and for the praise of them that do well. It could even be uh, a parent who you know biologically. Well, what does the Lord say to do? Submit yourselves where, where you can. The word submit means yield to. Go along with an agenda if it isn't going to do you any harm or isn't going to hurt you. I mean, can you, can you go along with something and you feel, feel okay about it? Yes, then do that. That's the easy way of doing stuff. It's called wisdom. Yeah, just be, it says, to yield or to surrender to another's will. If they're a parent over you for right now, the Lord is pleased when you do obey them when you can. If it's something that's outright evil, then you've got a right to take a stand. So there's a differentiation there. But if you can go along with an agenda and it's not going to harm you, the easy way and the wise way is go along with it because you're obeying the Lord in it. You're doing it as unto the Lord. So he said, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Who are you doing this for? For the Lord. For the Lord's sake. See? Because what happens is, for so is the will of God that with well-doing, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Aha, there's a positive outcome when you can act appropriately in the Lord. You'll put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. They, in other words, they've got nothing evil to say about you. They can't accuse you. They can't make you dumb down. Why? Because you're behaving in absolute wisdom. So he says, so is the will of God that with well-doing, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Each one of you has that capability now. Cultivate it as free. You're doing it as a free person. 
and not using your liberty for any cloak of maliciousness, maliciousness, not hating them in it, but as the servants of God. You're as the servant of God when you use wisdom in a matter. So he says, honor all men. There's a good piece of advice for you young ones. Like I said, you have to be in dis for difference. Honor that grandmother as much as you can, honey. Just do it when it's appropriate. If it goes against your conscience, then you can say, no, I serve Christ and I will not do or I cannot do such and such. But as much as you can, live peaceably with them and honor their request whenever you can. Saves you a truckload of trouble. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Honor, again, means to give allegiance to something. Be obedient to wherever you can. Yeah, honor. There's, there's more of an expanded meaning in that, but it just means give allegiance to it. Be obedient as you can. And look how Peter words it here. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, the fear of the Lord, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward, to the, to the crooked. So submit or be subject to means to be subordinate. And you know Jesus at age 12, remember how he was, he departed from the company for three days. When they made a pilgrimage, they had to go, I think, up to Jerusalem to pay taxes. They were, they, he was with the family, and all of a sudden he disappears for three days. <gasps> the parents were just in an uproar. Where is he? We've lost him. Has anything happened to him? They go searching for Jesus. Guess where they find him? Sitting in the temple at age 12, with, the, with all the scribes, the Pharisees, and those elders who were expert in the old law. And he was hearing them and asking them questions. And they marveled at his wisdom. He was, as, he was beyond them in his wisdom. I want each of you to be that way before God from this day forward. Because you will. And you are. You're beyond your generation in the wisdom that God has given you. Carry that out. Carry it out beautifully and diligently, and you'll have great success. But what happened? They came and they sought him and said, why did you do this to us? And he says, don't you know? He said this right back to his parents. Wished you not or don't you realize that I must be about my father's business, the father in heaven? But yet, they didn't, they didn't know what to say because that came straight from God. But then afterward, it says, but he went down and was with them and was subject unto them. Why? Because a man couldn't be free in Israel until he was age 30. He had to stay with his parents until he was 30 years old. So he went down and was subject unto them. What's that called? Wisdom. It, he didn't break with that custom. He didn't bolt and revolt and say, no, I'm going off. I'm going to run away from home and I'm going to go do my thing. Well, that would have broke. The Son of God would never have been here for us then. He would have been turned into somebody else. He would have been obeying the fleshly thinking that the world thinks. It's always about me, me, me. But when we subject ourselves to the, to, in the right, appropriate manner, like just, Jesus could have been free. He could have set himself free at age 12. He chose the wiser path because he didn't break with Israel's custom. He still needed to keep the law. He represented the law, and that was the law in those days, that a young man stayed in his father's parents' house until they were 30. 
we have a little better off today. We're free at 18, legitimately. And maybe sooner, if courts allow. So there's hope. Don't, don't worry. Your time will come. You can be emancipated from even from man's law. But the best thing to do is be subject like Jesus was, even though he was with those scribes and Pharisees and could have been in the temple the rest of his days. He chose to go back, back down and just submitted himself like, like James said to do. So here's some real wisdom for you, you young ones, as you find yourselves in really different situations. Yeah. Do the wise thing. that like When Jesus was free, he was really free. Then he could go off and be baptized, and his public ministry began. His time came. Yours will too. But in the meantime, seek that wisdom that's from above and know how to behave yourself in every situation, and you'll do very well. You won't end up being embarrassed. The adversary or the devil's children will end up being ashamed and embarrassed if they mistreat you. Mm -hmm. Just let God act on your behalf. Don't try to act out your own thing. Let God act on your behalf, and you, you guys are going to do very well. You're all in different situations, and I realize that. But again, that, that wisdom from God, there's nothing like it on the face of the earth. So hold your heads up high, because you've got it. You'll do well. And thank you for being so diligent, sweet, and kind, and for keeping your eyes forward and hearing this, because boy, does the Lord love you. Did I give you the meaning of be subject to? It just means to subordinate, to obey when you can, to be under obedience, put under, subdue unto, make subject to, be in subjection or submit self to. Do it where necessary, but not if, if it totally, outrightly offends your conscience. Then the Lord will take up for you in other ways. Again, you have to depend on him for it, but he will take up. He'll be your rescue. We appreciate you being here. You can always go to getyourloveon.org for show archives and more information. Uh, it also shows you where you can get the show, the videos that we have up on YouTube. If you want to connect with us on social media, all that is available at getyourloveon.org. Well, since we spent the last two hours getting our love on, let's make sure we keep our love on. Again, we're here for you. If you'd like to reach out to the show, that website's the place to do it, or, of course, social media. We'll be back next Sunday with another wonderful show. In the meantime, have a wonderful week. Keep your love on. Keep your love.